How's it going, everybody? Once again, great access to our 35th District Representatives and Representative Travis Couture on the line now. How you doing, Travis? Good. How are you? I am well. Uh, last week, we talked about your House Bill 2233, and this uh, is regarding fentanyl and protecting the kids from fentanyl. Uh, the Department of Children, Youth, and Families had a bit of a response to your bill. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we did a uh, <laughs> we did a article with uh, one of the reporters with uh, uh, Center Square, and that reporter went out and asked DCYF to comment. Uh, so Department of Children, Youth and Families, for those who don't know, they do all the foster care, the CPS, everything else, childcare in the state. Everything that's broken in this state falls under DCYF, <laughs> uh, it seems like. But, uh, you know, they responded uh, to that reporter and basically said they opposed the bill um, because they think it's, it's essentially uh, safer to keep kids in homes where there is hard drugs like fentanyl and meth present, which falls right in line with what we've been seeing. Um, and that's safer than removing kids from parents to keep them safe. And I just think that, uh, you know, I live in reality. Uh, we have to be able to remove kids from those situations and keep them safe. And, and the numbers don't lie. Uh, they're dying at unprecedented rates as a result of that right now. And I just think it's tone deaf and it's, and it's frankly, it's just outrageous. Um, and this is a, an example of how radical ideology in Olympia affects policy and policy decisions. Um, and even the actions of our state agencies and departments and we have to be able to set those ideologies aside and look at the facts and look at the map and see the stories. And, and, and right now it's just story after story after story of young kids. And, and really in this case, um, although some older uh, children, you know, die or, or are part of near fatalities, they'll call it, um, where they almost die. Um, but really, the largest number of the deaths are infants and toddlers. And if you, I got four kids, and I know you got kids, Jeff, and you know that when babies and toddlers are, you know, crawling around the house, I mean, they're getting into things, and you got to keep an eye on them. And if you're a parent on fentanyl, you can't watch your kids. I mean, we've seen it kind of, um, you know, just on the news or on our streets, right, where, you know, these these. People, you know, they after using that drug, they're almost kind of just zomped out. They're zombies, you know, for lack of a better term. And and that's sad. Uh, and, you know, you do want to be able to help those parents on the back end. Hopefully you can get them clean and sober and and help them get the, the treatment that they need so that someday they can reunite with their families once they're clean and sober. Um, but you got to be able to take the keys away. And so I'm kind of outraged by um, the stance of, of DCYF on that because kind of, I think we talked about it before. If we don't hit a bullseye on it this session, then we gavel out and we're going to see another 85 to 100 child deaths in this category until we can gavel back in next January in 2025. And is that what we're willing to accept? I'm not. And so I'm, I'm kind of... I'm in the headspace that I'm just going to war for these kids. 
um, because it's just totally unacceptable. And there's a lot of different things you can kind of apply this radical uh, thought process to in Olympia, but we shouldn't be applying it to young kids when they're dying, you know? When it comes to the bill that you proposed here, and in, again, I guess in response to what they were saying, uh, would you um, be advocating for the children to be pulled out of the home system entirely or look for another uh, family member, a secondary grandparent or aunt and uncle in these types of situations? Or I, I, I guess from their saying too, I, 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 you know, we don't want to have more kids in home like youth homes or whatever they would call them um you, you know what i'm trying to say here but more with the family or extended family structure yeah and that's been kind of a for years now been kind of a goal of dcyf is to to try to stop out of home placements right but to your point we do have a kinship care system uh where you can uh be placed with grandma grandpa an aunt or uncle or a or, you know, or something like that, right? So you can be placed with other family. And um, even our um, our Native American friends. Um, so, you know, there's some sensitivity to, you know, removing a Native American child from a Native American home because of drugs. But there's something called IPQA where they get placed with another Native American family, right? So we've done a lot of work to make sure that uh, we do the least amount of harm when we do an out-of-home placement. Now, sometimes the older kids, uh, when there's nowhere to go, you've heard of probably like DCYF placing these kids in cars and hotel rooms, and and they had a lawsuit against them years ago for this. And um, But really what it boils down to is the leadership at DCYF is not doing a good job. And, and this is not even... Um, something that I'm just saying, this is something that their own workers are saying. So over the interim, I went to the the Washington State Federation of State Employees, their, their annual convention, and everybody had a button that said, toss Ross. And if you don't know, Ross Hunter is the secretary of DCYF, and he's in a Jay Inslee appointee. And he used to be a member, a Democrat member of the House um, in the legislature here years ago. But since DCYF was created in 2017 to take over in the space from DSHS, um, it was created to solve a lot of these problems that you know DSHS had, but they've only actually gotten worse. Uh, we like we proposed things like having an oversight board, but uh, we the governor vetoed our bill for an oversight board <laughs> on DCYF last year, so we're running it again. Uh, we got stuff to uh like my colleague representative mcclintock has a bill to help foster care communications because it's so fragmented um uh, what foster parents can do and we have kind of a little bit of a crisis um with uh foster parent people not, aren't signing up to be foster parents right now mm -hmm. so we have right. we're starting to have less and less but so at some point everything starts to become a systemic problem. And to fix a big cultural or systemic problem, you need the right leadership at the top, right? And so uh, nothing's perfect, but I maintain that at the end of the day, even if you want to try to prevent out-of-home placements, which is what they said, you still got to make sure the kid is alive, right? You can't have them in a place where just a couple of weeks ago, a four-year-old girl in Kennewick died. 
She had ingested two fentanyl pills and had one stuck up her nose while her parents were doing drugs in the bathroom. And her and the father actually had a no contact order that he had been violating multiple times. And then also last year, a three-year-old boy was killed by her by his mother under CPS supervision while CPS is supervising the family, even though they knew she was smoking meth, but she tortured and killed her own son and left the body lane. There was terrible. It's just terrible. And I mean, you can only see so many of those until you got to say enough's enough, right? We got to do something different. When it comes to these types of changes and, and big changes in departments, is it better to work on a, I guess, kind of the federal term is the omnibus, like a like a very large bill that covers different aspects of this? Or is it more important to kind of work on uh, case by case, bill by bill and try to chip away at some of the changes that you'd like to make? Yeah, so. um I, you know, I mentioned like they, they, they do many things. ESIT, early support for infants and toddlers. They do the early, the ECAP system, the early, um, early learning preschool stuff, but they also do childcare, CPS, foster care. So they have a lot under that umbrella. Right. And one of the things um, about the house is like, you can't do multiple subjects. Right. In a bill. Right, that's right. That's right. I remember and, that now. And so you can, you can kind of sometimes wedge more things in there, but it has to fall under the title of the bill. Um, and that also means you can't amend things that are out of the scope of the title of the bill. And and sometimes, you know, we'll have a controversial bill and you'll see, you know, maybe me, I'll drop an amendment on it and the speaker will gavel and say that's a, it's out of order because it's out of scope, right? Um, so that happens sometimes. And sometimes it gets really... <laughs> legally uh, legalese right about whether it fits in the scope or not but um i think to answer your question though like i'm whether it's a big bill or a small bill um it doesn't actually matter the size of the bill you can make a one line change sometimes to things and make a dramatic difference mm -hmm. and so like in this case what we're saying is in court when CPS goes to remove the child because, well, social workers are complaining they don't have the tools to be able to remove when they see these things happen. And that's true, right? Because they go to court and the judge will say, well, there's no imminent harm in the law, right? So what my bill does, it says, hey, if you're doing this and the kid is at danger, then this is an imminent, considered an imminent harm. Um, but, uh, and, and, and yeah, it could be complicated. You start removing some of these kids um, and then you got to find maybe an out-of-home placement or kinship care or something like that. But at least they're still alive, right? <laughs> right? right. Uh, so that's kind of my stance. And and I and I there's a lot of things I'm tackling uh, in that space. Childcare is one of them. I know that animates a lot of people in our district. And the reason is is because we live in what's called a childcare desert. Um, and if you're not familiar with that, you can kind of look on a map. There's even websites for it, but. This is, these are areas of our state where childcare is very rare or doesn't exist, or there's just not enough of it. It's not affordable. And if you look on a map, it's typically the rural areas, right? Mm -hmm. um, the urban areas still have a little bit of a desert mentality, but not nearly to the extent that a rural district like the 35th will have. And so 
I've got stuff that really focuses on trying to make childcare attainable, affordable, and especially for babies, because those are the hardest category to find childcare for, right. um, to really give us the relief that we need so that, you know, if mom wants to go have a career, then she can, right? Um, and really, if, you know, briefly, I think what's getting in the way is uh, DCYF has created this kind of what they call their quality policy. And what I argue is, is if you go way too far um, setting up regulations and rules for quality of childcare, then you've basically made it so unaffordable that we just can't build it in our districts, right? Um, and if you don't have childcare in your district, then what happens? People still find childcare maybe, but it's under the radar, right? It's kind of black market childcare. And my argument is then there is no quality and there is no safety in rules, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so um, by you know, giving some relief, and I have a bill that gives relief for childcare deserts. If you're in a childcare desert, um, the counties would have more say into how to set up an ordinance uh, to tailor a childcare system with some basic rules and understandings that we all understand we must follow, background checks and et cetera, um, that they can go tailor this to their communities that works for them so that people can start having childcare in their childcare deserts, right? And so I'm actually surprisingly going to get a hearing on that bill next uh, in the next coming uh, couple of weeks. So uh, I didn't think I'd get a hearing on that because it's it's a very different approach than what the majority party would like to do. Um, but I am thankful to get a hearing. And as a matter of fact, Jeff, I, I'm kind of surprised. I've got a lot of bills. I think I have over 15 of them now. And I would say the majority of them are getting hearings. And I, I'm calculating kind of in my head, at least seven bills I think are going to be passable for a short session and only my second session. I think that's a pretty incredible, you know. Um, Do you think uh, that's my, because you're you're um, coming at it, <clears throat> excuse me, again, as a freshman coming into the, you know, kind of your first term here. And so you haven't been... Uh, inundated with some of the old school rules here or uh, your youth is allowing you to look at things in, in a different way than some of maybe your predecessors? How does that, what do you, what do you attribute that to then? Um, and yeah, I, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging about myself, but I, if, I think what people tell me and what people tell others is that I just work hard. And what that means, I guess, you know, kind of on the ground in reality is, and I tell people this, the legislature is supposed to be a part-time job, right? But it's not. You're someone's representative 24 seven. Mm -hmm. And and I'll tell you, Jeff, I've, I've never been really good at doing part-time jobs. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I treat it like a full-time job that it is. And you know how uh, long I've been uh, talking about state government and kind of involved in this space and it, it took a long time uh, for me to get here. So like the reverence I have for the job that I do, it's 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 really at the top of my list. I go stand on the House floor. I have a different feeling, you know, um, of respect. And and I really want to do something great. And, um, you know, I'm kind of self-actualizing that way. But, you know, also, you know, there's big problems in our state. And a lot of those problems uh, slip into uh, our district, right? And I'm not going to wait around for them to solve themselves, right? And uh, um, so I just go like, you know, 
sixth gear at all times. <laughs> and you go, my, you'll go and until my, someone Dan, says, whoa, whoa, slow down a little bit here. Yeah, my seatmates sometimes tell me to slow down. They don't want me to burn out, but I told them I was burnt out like a decade ago. Sure, <laughs> sure. So. <laughs> You're on your fifth wind here or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Let's move on to uh, some transportation issues. And if you haven't had any updates on this, then that's that's great. But back in the middle of November, you met with a, a group of folks up in the north part of Mason County in regards to the... Uh, Belfair bypass, the Highway 3 freight corridor, whatever we're calling it now. Have you had any updates on that since you've been in Olympia? Yeah. So uh, we had a really great town hall up there in Belfair. And actually, I, I feel a little bit bad because we set it up at the the hub, right? The senior center, uh-huh. uh, which is a really great space. And the North Mason Community Voice does their thing up there too. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we didn't anticipate you know, we thought there'd be a lot of people. We didn't anticipate how many people there would be. And people were parked down the down the highway and down the street. You yeah. Know? And and so next time I'll just say for everybody that we'll do it at the high school or something like that, where there where we could fit more people. Yeah, it was but, standing room only there on that oh, one. Oh yeah. And and it was great. And so uh I we're the I think the bottom line is we're still on track. Okay. Right. So when we get, you know, gaveled in this year, there were some talks like, hey, you know, of course, we're in a supplemental budget. We got to do some maintenance level stuff. Um, some of the transportation projects are suffering. Um, and, you know, uh, Dan Griffey, he sits on uh, transportation committee. So he kind of we kind of divide and conquer. I'm on a probes. He's on transportation. And, uh, you know. I, I I was asking him, are, is our project, the Belfair Bypass, the freight corridor, is that one under threat? And the answer is no. Good. So we're still green to go. And I'm super happy about that. We, we've advocated very hard for that. And when we had that town hall and others, it was the number one project um, that people wanted in our district. And that includes all three counties. And so... Uh, it's going to be great. Um, I know that coming soon, they're going to have their environmental, um, I forget what it's called, not environmental impact, but their their study basically completed, which means that they can have the green light to go purchase properties um, in preparation for construction. So we're still on track. And I'm really proud of that because I've been in North Mason a long time. I've had to wait in that traffic and and see the the, the crashes on some of those intersections up there. And I am super excited to when I come because I work in Kitsap. So when I come home, I want to be locked into traffic forever. Right, right. Super great. And so there's I, no. I always tell people no one cares more about it than I do. <laughs> so. and, and, and there's no real concern that it's going to impact any of those businesses in the Belfair corridor right on on three. Right. It, I mean, those will still be hopping and popping. Yeah. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, it, it might help them more. Um, I could tell you personally that uh, if I'm driving home from work and I'm locked in bumper to bumper traffic and I'm frustrated, I'm not pulling off to a business in Belfair because I'm stuck in traffic, right? I'm just angry. (laughs) So, but uh, that's my own personal thought. But, you know, a lot of people say, hey, we've studied this enough. We've studied this enough. We studied it to death. Well, some of those studies were to study that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you look around some of the other um, bypasses uh, in our region, and that have been built in recent memory, um, you know, they also did not hurt their local uh, 
thing that the city or town they were bypassing. Sure. Um, I think in the past they've planned those wrong, like distant past they've planned those wrongly and it could have hurt, but I, I would just rest everyone assured that I don't think that it's going to hurt Belfair at all. Very good. Very good. Representative Travis Couture uh, representing the 35th again online at traviscouture.houserepublicans.wa.gov. We'll have this uh, interview as well on our podcast page that you can download and you can always get in touch with them at the website that I mentioned. Travis, thank you so much for some time this morning. Good to talk with you, buddy. Thanks, Jeff. You too. See ya.